for all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass. This podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. What's up, fam? Oh my goodness. Woo! Not gonna lie. Quarantine is getting to your boy. Just a little bit. A lot of bit. In a few ways. Um, first of all, hey, how you doing? I know we just kind of jumped right in. There was no, like, pre-speech. Praise the Lord. First giving honor to God and to um, the pastor and to his lovely wife, and all whom honor is due. If you ever want to know what the cheat code was for like growing up in church and you just didn't want to say honor to all those people, you just said to whom all honor is due. It was just like all y'all type thing. Anyway, none of that. Let's talk. So I figured we'd catch up and I'd just tell you about what's going on in my life before we go into this <laughs> into this week's episode. So uh, yeah, your boy is eating, you know, just eating um, a lot and all the time. Sometimes I'm eating because food is good. Sometimes I'm eating because food is really good. And sometimes I'm emotionally eating. I have to admit that, you know, it's uh, I'm going to eat and then go to sleep type situation. And that's not good. So I've had to deal with that. Um, but your boy has also been cooking, you know, uh, for Mother's Day. I hit that young peach cobbler pound cake. What you know about it? See, you listen, you don't know anything about it. It's OK. Um, it's my honor to put you on. I got the recipe from this uh, guy I follow on Instagram. Uh, his handle is at Darius Cooks. He's super dope. I should probably send him this podcast and be like, hey, send me something. I, I don't know. Anyway, and I got the recipe from him. It turned out fire. I was very impressed. I had a ton of fun making it. So that was that. But your boy is producing in quarantine still, working on a couple of projects that are fun. Um, and then, of course, making sure that these episodes come out. Uh, been doing an Instagram live Bible study every Tuesday. So if you follow me on Instagram, tune in for however long this quarantine situation lasts. I'll be posted up on Tuesdays, just being uh, real intimate with the word and just talking to you. So I've been doing that. I've been having fun with the fam. You know, sometimes you just don't want to do anything deep. You just want to play Uno or Dominoes or something and just have some fun. So we've been doing that. I've been like making a point to talk to the grandparents or my dad. And just this is a really great time to have like live chats and to just catch up. So I've been doing that. What else I've been doing? I miss getting dressed up. Can I come on? Come on. Come in the room. Come in the room. I need you. You're, you're my support group right now. I miss wearing suits. I've worn a combined total of five suits in the last two months and I'm having withdrawals. You know, the other thing that I miss, I miss brunch. Now, listen, I understand that these are some first world problems. I'm going to, and the reason why I'm taking this tone is because the podcast is always deep. Like we're always talking about, you know, the global issues and economics and mental health and all that fun stuff. So I'm giving you the basic side of my life. And the basic part is that I miss wearing suits and I miss brunch and uh, summer plans. Yeah. I miss Essence Festival. That, that was a hard one. That was probably the hardest one. Going to New Orleans, I was supposed to be back in Atlanta. Shout out to Mark Moore and the Young Leaders Conference. Uh. <laughs> anyway, that's been my quarantine life. And church, a lot of church, a lot of church, a lot of church. Let me weigh in on that real quick, though, y'all. Here, here's my thing. As it relates to churches opening up, as of the day that I'm recording this, it'll probably be way later than that when you hear this. But the United States president declared... Um, houses of worship essential work which means that they should have a return date of immediate let, let, me, let me just tell you this as as a pastor my conviction is that the safety and well-being of the membership comes before our traditions it just does 
And so we're going to rock this virtual thing. I, I am not in no rush to let people come back to church. Listen, we're going to do what we need to do to make sure that people are safe. And we're not just come back because somebody in, in a White House said so. We're going to come back when it's safe to do so. And that's just my position on it, that as houses of faith, we got to prioritize life over tradition and over liberties, quote unquote, because with liberty comes responsibility. And we got to prioritize that first. What is my purpose? And if we're in church leadership, our purpose is to make sure that the people of God have life and life more abundantly. So anyway, my name is Prince Parker, and that was my soapbox. What have you been doing in quarantine? Well, if you know anything about what we've been doing, then you know that we have been unpacking faith and anxiety. This idea that quarantine has brought up a lot of mental health issues for all of us, right? It's brought up how we grieve. It's brought up anxiety over the future, over money, over the uh, government systems and economy, over the next election, over um, issues related to black lives. It has brought up so much. And as we deal with all this, it brings up mental health stuff. And that's hard to deal with for anybody, but it's especially hard to deal with sometimes when you're a believer and you don't you don't just feel the mental health struggles, but you feel guilty about it. You feel like as a believer, I shouldn't be struggling with this. And let me just tell you, this whole series is to debunk that like all people struggle and especially saved people struggle. And just because you're saved and or believe in God and or have great faith and or are a leader and are or a superpower doesn't mean that you too don't struggle with mental health. And if you do, that's okay. And not only is it okay, but there are tools and resources for you. So if you've been rocking with me since episode one of this particular series, then you know that's the whole point. So we're going to dig a little deeper into this thing. And I want to start to build more information about mental health in terms of what should we believe about it. And that's what this episode is about. Let's now turn our minds to what are some truths? I talked about the lies about anxiety, but what are some truths that I should start to implore and employ in my mind about this so that I can reframe the way I look at it? That's what this episode is about. I want you to walk away looking at it differently because if you eliminate the barrier, as a matter of fact, I said this to a friend of mine when we were talking on the phone and she was asking me about some of her mental health stuff she was dealing with. And um, I said this to her and it just kind of jumped out of my mouth, but it's now something I live by. I said this, I said, if you break the shame, then you break the cycle. And for many of us, we can't even get to the healing because there's so much shame related to our emotional health that by the time we get to, we don't even get to the conversation about how to actually deal with it because we're still beating ourselves up over just saying it, over just admitting that we struggle with it. So um, I want to get some truths in there so that the truth will break the shame. And then as we break the shame, we'll break the cycle. Here we go. Let's dig into this little com this, this conversation a little deeper as we unpack some truths about anxiety. Let's get it. I am glad to be here. I was so excited. I was so excited to be here. I told the alarm clock it was time to get up, okay? <laughs> Usually, the alarm clock yells at me, <laughs> and it's like, um, here you go again. It's time. <laughs> but today, I was like, alarm clock, you slow. It's church time, and I am ready. All right, here we go. Let's go to John 10 and 10, okay? Since it is refreshing Sunday... I want to keep us going on our series that we've been working on called Chill Out. Everybody say chill out. Now look at somebody next to you. Tell them I'm chilling. I'm chilling, fam. I'm chilling, okay? <laughs> so we're talking about um, faith and anxiety, right? We're talking about how do I, as a Christian, navigate what I believe but what I experience from the perspective of mental health as it relates to anxiety? And again, the foundation for this is in my own life when uh, I, I learned that there was a great disparity between um, faith and emotional mental health, that they kind of sat on two different ends of the spectrum, that the environments that taught me faith and that raised me up in holiness, that raised me up in understanding the power of the Holy Ghost, that raised me up in the scripture, which I'm so grateful for, were super knowledgeable about the word and about faith. But there was like no dialogue whatsoever about mental health. Like everything was just pray about it. You know, let's put some more oil on you. And besides being greasier on top of already having oily skin, um, nothing ever really got better in that department. 
And you know what? I was thinking about the power of this series, and one of the most tragic things, if we're being honest, about um, the black church community specifically is that we have so many deaths that are mental health-related that could have been prevented had we had a discussion. And I'm not just talking about in the world. I'm talking about in the church. I grew up where it was not uncommon for a pastor to serve 30, 40 years and die in the pulpit, like, like, like literally like would preach and transition. And it, and it wasn't because they were healthy, but there was never a healthy application to how do you deal with the mind and soul of this person in this role that is saved and loves God and knows the scriptures, but doesn't have a healthy understanding of how do you deal with um, your, your soul, mind, body, soul, and spirit, which we've been talking about. So that conversation was missing from my, my Christian spaces and my spaces of, of, of holiness and, and Pentecostalism. Um, and so I spoke in tongues and still had anxiety headaches <laughs> and then spoke in tongues until it created a stronger headache because <laughs> now you just over here overworking syllables. So then I was able to go into these spaces that taught me about mental health and emotional health. But those spaces were often devoid of faith. So I would go over there and, you know, you, you know, you ever talk to some folks and you're like, it's good, but it's just missing something. <laughs> you know, like, I, I get it. You, you're saying some all right stuff, but you, you're missing the real underlying truth of how we look at the world. And so I sat in this conundrum of, is it really either or, right? Do I have to be saved and anxious or emotionally, mentally healthy, but don't believe in God, right? And I said, I said, surely that can't be the case. And so I took this predicament, right, that I was having to God and to study, right, which led me to John 10 and 10. Does God care about the middle, so to speak? Does God care about me being both, right? Can I be saved and full of the Holy Ghost and emotionally, mentally whole? And I don't think that's too much to ask. Not because I made this up, but because of John 10 and 10, right? If you've been rocking with me since the first one, we already know this is our thematic scripture from which this entire series is built. John 10 and 10 sets our goal and trajectory for why we're even going on this, right? John 10 and 10, let's try to quote it from memory. It says, the thief cometh not but to, and to what? And to what? And to destroy. That is the threefold purpose of the enemy, right? To steal, to take something from you, to kill, and to destroy. That means that the enemy wants to make sure that it has no possibility of recovering, right? So Jesus says, I want you to know because you follow me that this is a threefold purpose of your adversary. But that is not the punchline. I want you to be aware of that, but I don't want you to be controlled by that. It's important for you. Oh, this is so good. It is important. Wow. I want you to write this down. It is important to know the enemy, but not build your life around him. This is so good. It's important to know the enemy, but not build your life around him. Here's what I mean by that. God never intended for you to live your life on defense of the enemy. Where everywhere you turn, oh my, well, let me do this because the enemy, and let me do this because the enemy, and let me do this because, let me pray because the enemy, and let me go to church. And God was like, no, 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 that's not how I intended you to live. I want you to know it, but I don't want your entire existence to be lived on defense. Right? That's why Jesus doesn't stop by saying the enemy comes to. Because if that's where Jesus stopped, then he would be communicating the idea that that is the sole purpose of how we are to live, which is in, in defense of where's the enemy now, right? That's not the point. The point is his next part, which he says, that's what the enemy comes to do, but what's the second half of that? But I am come that you might what? Okay, great. Have life. What's the next word? And, and that, that is the premise of this entire series, right? That you might have life and life abundantly. Now, whenever something's reiterated, we have to tease it out. What is it communicating in scripture? Is it highlighting the same idea or is it pushing the definition of what was just communicated? So what we argue in this series is that Jesus says, I come that you might have life and. So that original life we've ascertained refers to that moment where I'm made right with God. I have right fellowship, right standing with God. And I know that my eternity is secure, right? That's heaven. Get saved. But that and, 
suggests that Jesus' concern with my life is not just how much life I experience in eternity, but the quality of life that I experience on earth as a result of my new right standing with God. So what we're talking about in this series of chill out, navigating faith and anxiety is how do I do both? How do I get my life and that most people get the life they got saved and that's fantastic, but they don't tap into life abundantly. Our mental and emotional health is about the life abundantly. So here's where we're going to pick up. Last time, what we were able to unpack last month is we were talking about how Jesus dealt with things on all three levels. Everybody say all three levels. Okay. All three levels. Now, the reason why we went through that is because it was important to understand that one of the myths that we carry, and I'm going to unpack these myths in just a second. One of the myths that we carry about anxiety is that it's all in the mind. You know, as we would just tell you, it's all in the mind. But we unpacked it that that's not necessarily true. The battle of anxiety might occur in the mind, but it has manifestations in the flesh and your physical body. And it also has a lot to do with the spirit realm. And so we talked about how anxiety is on all three levels. I am a tripart being. I am a spirit. Right? That spirit existed in the mind and heart of God before I was even anything. I have a soul, my mind, my will and emotions, and I live in a body. My body helps me interact with the other pieces of matter and nature that were created. My soul interacts between my flesh and my spirit. And anxiety is on all three levels. So I have to learn how to respond to it on all three levels, right? How do I respond to it physically? We talked about that. How do I respond to it on the soul level, in my mind and in my emotions? And then how do I respond to it on a spiritual level, which we'll be able to unpack some more towards the end. So in our last, we talked about the very reality of how this makes its way into, um, we talked about kind of like, what does this look like in real time, right? That sounds very high and ethereal, right? On all three levels. But we talked about what that means when you have a very real manifestation of anxiety, which is in the form of a panic attack. And what does that mean to address a panic attack on all three levels, all right? So that's what we talked about last time. Where I want to pick up now is I want to talk about The five, let me make sure I have five of them. (laughs) I think so. Yeah, okay. The five truths about anxiety. All right, I'm going to talk about the five truths about anxiety. Um, I'm going to start by unpacking what you might remember two uh, parts ago in this series. I gave you four myths or lies that we believe about anxiety that prevent us from being able to, to be whole. And I'll unpack those for you. Here we go. The first myth or lie, this should be in your notes from two parts ago, but I'll give them to you again. Four lies that we believe about anxiety is one, that anxiety has a look. That's a myth, a lie that we believe about anxiety. We say stuff like this, you know, child, anxiety is a worldly thing. You know, if you saved, you don't deal with that. Or we say things like, child, anxiety is a white people thing. It's like, okay. Um, we think that anxiety has a look, right? Like, child, she just looked nervous. <laughs> it's like, um, no. <laughs> you can uh, look wealthy, you can look productive, you can look very successful um, and still suffer with this a lot. Uh, and so one is anxiety has a look. That is not true at all. It does not have a look. I uh, can submit to you that people in all shapes, shades, sizes, occupations, positions around you, and levels of spirituality deal with anxiety. And in fact, if you believe it has a look, that you're going to miss some of the people around you that need you to minister to them in this area the most. And remember when we talked about this, I implored all of us to start checking on our, our strong friends, our straight A students, those are the people that I'm telling you, they look great on paper, but is the fact that we look at them and think that their achievement means that they're not struggling with this. And those are the very people that we let slip. And then 10, 15, 20 years go by and something cataclysmic happens in their mind because everybody thought that because they performed well, that they were well. And that's not true. So the first lie that we believe is that anxiety has a look. The second lie that we believe is that if you deal with anxiety, it means you don't have faith. How many people have ever been told that when you finally were open about something you were struggling with and people just told you you have to believe? How many people have ever heard that advice? 
while I understand slightly <laughs> where that's coming from, I, I think that negates this idea that my faith does not prohibit me from feeling. Faith is not something that sort of um, anesthetizes or makes me numb to feeling life. What faith does is helps me make a decision in line with what I believe. But faith does not stop me from feeling human emotion. Everybody with me on that? Does that make sense? Right? I think, you know, I'll give you a great example. One of the worst ways that we do this is when we talk to people who are grieving. And we tell them, you just got to believe that they're in a better place. Okay, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> prophet. I understand that. <laughs> and I still, in my knowing that they're in a better place, miss the fact that they're not in this place. And so I'm going to hold both. Yes, I'm going to shout that in the end, going up yonder, going up yonder. It's like, okay, yes. And I'm also going to shed tears because there is an adjustment of my present life, right? And so we give this bogus advice that, that really has its roots in these lies that we believe about mental, emotional health and, and faith, right? So the second lie, anxiety means you don't have faith. That's not true. And we'll unpack that some more. Three. The other lie that we believe is that anxiety cannot be dealt with. You just have to wait for it to pass. We love to tell people this idea of just suffer through. Long suffering, what does it mean? Suffering long. It's like, okay, again, get where you're coming from. Um, that is not always consistent with the way that we see Jesus dealing with things. And I think sometimes it is a very... I was going to try to find a preacher way to say this. It's a cop-out. <laughs> it is a cop-out because we don't have tools to give people, so we tell them just suffer, right? And a lot of times, instead of embracing the fact that we don't know how to have these conversations, we just tell people just, just deal with it, right? And we say it in the name of faith, <laughs> in the name of God is working it out. Okay, yes, and if God is working it out, then what am I to do in the meantime? So it's something else that we believe, right? That it cannot be dealt with. That is false. And as a matter of fact, we disproved that with unpacking the ways you can deal with an anxiety attack or a panic attack on all three levels, right? It can be dealt with, and there are tools for us. And the fourth, which you've already dealt with, is that anxiety is all in the mind. No, it ain't. <laughs> anxiety exists in my physical body. It exists in my uh, soul, which houses my mind, will, and emotions. And it also exists in the spirit realm, the realm I don't see, right? The spirit of anxiety. The Bible talks about how there is a spirit of heaviness, right? It gets beyond just like a momentary depression. There's an actual spirit, a sign of that in the spirit realm. And so I've got to learn how to deal with it on all three levels. So I gave you four lies that we believe. Let's talk about five truths. And then I'll end with um, a very important story for you to take with you to help you in your journey. Five truths about anxiety. The first one, God does not want you to live under the control of anxiety. These are truths I want you to get into um, your spirit. And I'm going to share them with you because here's how I want you to use them going forward. The first is that when we spend time today, I'm going to unpack them so that we can learn them and support them with scripture. But what I want you to do when you go home is to take these five things and turn them into affirmations. So everywhere I have written you, you're going to write me. And then you're going to say this to yourself daily. Why? Because you have to train yourself to think differently about it so that you can live free from it. Did you hear what I just said? Write that down. You have to train yourself to think differently about it so that you can be free from it. So, so this is doing work in your mental self. Now, this you know, next 25 minutes I have you for is not going to change your entire thinking. It's going to plant the seed, but how much you engage with these truths over and over, and I'm going to support them with the word. So we ain't just, you know, making up stuff. You have to affirm this to yourself every day so that you can get into the point where you think differently about this whole thing. And it's going to allow you to begin to be free from it. So truth number one, God does not want you to live under the control of anxiety. Many of us believe that if I'm going through it, that must mean that God just wanted me to suffer with it. 
I can't tell you how many people really believe that about God. That God is, is not loving, that God is not father or mother, that God uh, is, is not operating with my best intended heart, that God is this, you know, sort of egotistical, upset old man who, who just had a grudge and so decided to unleash suffering. And that's an improper picture of God. That's not the God of the Bible. It's not the God that Jesus said sent him. It is not the God who created heavens and earth. Man, I don't even have time to get into that. If, okay, well, we're here. <laughs> we understand a lot about God's intention for humankind and for creation by going back to Genesis. And we look at how did God create the world that will tell me a little bit about what God intended for it. So, when God created Eden, was there any confusion? When God created Eden, was anything upset with anything else? When God created Eden, was anything frustrated? Here's a good one. When God created Eden, was anything tired? The Bible says that God created an ecosystem, watch this, that was always in harmony with itself. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God created something, first of all, that could be self-sustaining. God said, I made it so good, it ain't got to rely on me to operate. I created it so well, it just has to exist. The Bible says that God created everything with the seed in it necessary for reproduction. God says that that there was a dew that even came from the ground. Rain didn't even have to exist yet. God says, I've I've conditioned it so. Y'all got it, right? But the second thing is, he created it so that everything was in harmony with itself. There was no contention. Animals wasn't, wasn't over there, like, it's mine. Like, no, it wasn't a thing. So if that's how God created the world, if that was God's original intention, then why would God want you to live out of harmony with your own body and mind? If God created the world... In the beginning, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Then why would God be complicit and just cool with you being out of harmony with yourself? Truth number one is that God does not want you to live under the control of anxiety. It's not scriptural. God didn't create the world that way. Well, Princeton, what does the Bible say about it? If Genesis is not enough for you, write down Isaiah 26 and 3. Isaiah 26 and 3. Thou wilt keep him in what? Perfect peace. What kind of peace? What kind of peace? No, have peace. Sometimey peace. Peace when people like you. Peace when your kids is okay. Peace when you got the money you need. Thou would keep him in perfect peace. Now, I love, I don't think I've ever heard anybody preach this like Bishop Kenneth Omer. He he preached this and he unpacked that there's no word for perfect in the Hebrew language. So literally, the way that they communicated in the original Hebrew is God will keep him in peace, peace. Like literally the way they had communicated was to repeat the word twice because there was no word for perfect. So God will keep you in peace, peace. Now, in pop culture right now, the way we communicate is we say something twice to like emphasize how important it is, right? So if somebody would say, instead of, you know, young people saying you look nice, they'd be like, oh, you look nice, nice. You know, that's just like how we communicate these days. It'd be like, you know, instead of like you saying, oh no, you sang, sang. You know, it's a way of saying like, no, you really did it, right? And so God is going to keep you in like peace, peace. It is like, not, not just peace. God's going to keep you in like peace, peace, right? The Bible says in Isaiah that thou wilt keep him in perfect peace him, her, them, humankind, in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus is speaking. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Whose peace did he give to me? He gave me his. He gave me his. Under the understanding that mine, because I am limited, my peace might also be limited. I only have so much. You know what? <laughs> you know what has helped me so much as I continue to get older? You know, 25 is teaching me so much. You know, it's just teaching me so much. You know what I'm learning? That sometimes 
I just don't have it. Whatever it is. I just, you know, I just don't have it to give. And for many of us, instead of acknowledging that, we just try to go hit the ground some more and see if some water going to come out. It's like, no, fam, it's dry. It's dry. And that's why Jesus says, look, Princeton, (laughs) you with your short but cute self, (laughs) there's only so much peace you have, young man. And you're going to try to work more peace or you can accept the fact that I've given you mine. What is my peace? It's characterized by the fact that it's everlasting, that it's unimpacted by things going on, that it doesn't have to be worked for or conjured up. I've given it to you. Watch this. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, if you remember our very definition for anxiety, it was all about fear. Some perceived threat. So Jesus says, in answer to your fear, don't let your heart be troubled or be afraid, but I'm going to give you my peace. Got more scriptures for you. Philippians, that is not 4 and 13, because I know what 4 and 13 says. I'll find the adequate scripture for you. The scriptural text says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Watch this. The peace of God, which supersedes understanding. Peace of God is bigger than what I understand. You know what I understand? bill collectors you know bill collectors is not fun they just are not fun and then you know they ask questions and i've always understood like why comedians who don't have good content like always start out by talking about bill collectors you know i used to think that's how you could tell a comic wasn't good They'd be, how about them bill collectors oh, okay you just getting started and then i started experiencing it <laughs> And now I'll be starting off conversations like, how about those bill collectors, man? They are just something else. That's what I understand. I understand working, you know, 50 to 70 hours a week. I understand strange relationships and trying to figure out, are we cool this week or are we not? Am I supposed to have this conversation? Do I wait for you? You know, God, what is my responsibility? That's, That's what I understand. God says, the peace that I give you will supersede what you understand. I think sometimes, and I have to move on to the other four, I think sometimes the reason why we don't get what we want is because we still are trying to make God fit into our expectations. We're trying to make God fit into our understanding. And God is saying, no, 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 no. I'm trying to give you stuff you don't understand. And you keep rejecting it because it's not coming in the way that you thought it would. When he says, the peace I give you is going to surpass all understanding. 1 Corinthians 14, 33, last one I'll give you on the first truth about anxiety is, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Okay? What's interesting is that Corinthians is addressing not personal life. When Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he's addressing church culture. He's addressing this church that was very gifted, but they was like real wild. It was like real wild. And they had all the gifts. They was prophetic and they prayed well and they spoke in tongues and a whole lot of phenomenal stuff was going on. But they had issues when it came to how they related to each other. Here's the reason why I bring that up. Because if we put that scripture into context, God is not the author of confusion. He's not talking about God is not the author of personal confusion. Remember, the context is he's talking to a church that was out of order. So he was telling them, all that confusion in your church... God ain't the author of that. So let me tell you this. If your personal emotional health is not intact, you're going to bring all your anxiety to us. And the combination of all of us having not dealt with our own personal anxiety is going to create church anxiety. And God ain't the author of that. That oftentimes what we experience in church is not, you know, I just hate the church, (laughs) you know. No, 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 no. What you experienced was the result of a lot of individuals who had not self-regulated their emotion and their pain. So we brought that into how we dealt with each other. So now I'm yelling at you about where I sit 
when it ain't got nothing to do about the seat, I'm really anxious about the fact that nothing in my life is going according to plan. But because I didn't deal with that in a healthy way by myself, I bring that to you and now we fight over a seat. And now we're going to blame that on God and the church not being real and now I'm going to leave. Does that make sense? So God is not the author of confusion as it relates to how the church, that's the true context of that scripture, but it's connected to this idea of God doesn't want you to live in personal anxiety and he does not want his church in a whole bunch of anxiety. Truth number two, this is big. You are more than your anxiety. Here's what my fear is. Hmm, Let's phrase that differently. Here's what my concern is for my generation. Is that because so many of us are struggling with anxiety, what we're doing as a coping mechanism is we're just wearing it as an identity. I don't know how to get out of it, so I'm just going to start calling myself an anxious person. And we wear it in our introductions. Like, hey, my name is Princeton, and I'm like an anxious person. <laughs> it's like, um, that's not funny. And since I don't know how to deal with it, I just, I just end up having to wear it. I just put it on, and I add it to the list of things that I think make me who I am, right? My understanding of my family history, whatever I believe and understand about race and ethnicity, how I understand gender, how I understand where I was from, and my mental health. And those things make up my identity. It's like, no. You are so much more than your anxiety. And what happens is, when we believe that our, that our anxiety defines us, we start adjusting life to it. Instead of adjusting it to the life we're supposed to have. So we just start making accommodations for it. Uh, I'm an anxious person, so I typically don't apply for positions like that. I'm an anxious person, so it's probably not good for me to, like, have friendships and stuff. And we start cheating ourselves out of the very things that are designed to be life abundantly. Because we start wearing, we start wearing anxiety like it's a badge of honor. And, and we do it because I couldn't get no help nowhere. So let me just, I just might as well wear it and make it look cute. Go to Rome, uh, Romans 8, if you can go to it quickly. Go to it. Because I got to push through the rest of this. Watch this. Romans 8, verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? For it is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yet rather it is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. So what will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, watch this, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughters. So verse 36 says, that's what's happening to us. We're being killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But verse 37 says, I don't call myself, hi, my name is being killed all day long. Hi, my name is sheep for the slaughter. What's your name? (laughs) Hi, I'm a Christian, but typically I'm being killed all day long. It says, no, verse 37, in all these things, we are, here's our identity. We are what? Great. So Paul says, we're not going to ignore what life is like. Life is hard and we're going through stuff. Yes, we're going to acknowledge that reality. But now let's talk about identity. Oh my goodness. Write that down. You have to know the difference between your reality and your identity. This goes back to the message we preached like a year ago now, that this is where I am, not who I am. Right? Paul says, you got to know the difference between your reality and your identity. Your reality might be that you struggle with anxiety, that anxiety wants to come against you. But your identity is that you're more than a conqueror. And you need to live and affirm that identity, not what you're going through. And part of our problem is that we have become experts in our diagnoses, not our identity. So what you talk about all the time is what you were diagnosed with, and that's why it gets bigger over your life. 
Because that's what you talk about all the time. I'm so frustrated. I'm so anxious. Nobody will love me. I'm so lonely. I'm so angry. I'm so bitter. I'm so uh, tired, whatever that is. Those are realities, and you should acknowledge them, but stop rehearsing them. Acknowledge them, but stop rehearsing them. Because that is creating a pattern of expectation in your heart. That is not who you are. Acknowledge that. That's your reality. I'm frustrated. Fantastic. But I'm more than a conqueror. So I'm going to acknowledge what I feel, but I'm going to make decisions from who I am. We are more than conquerors. Number three. Truth number three. Truth number three is this. A healthy life is possible. It's simple, but it's so important. A healthy life is possible. You know, one of the greatest lies we believe, and there, there are two particular areas of my life that I'm struggling with this, that I've had to continue to try to affirm and speak and pray over and read God's word. There are two areas of my life where I've been saying this recently and I had to catch myself where I'm like, maybe this is just how that's going to be. Maybe this is just all there is or how God designed this particular aspect of my life. And so you start to settle right in that belief that maybe I'm just supposed to live like this. You know, whoa. And you know what makes that feeling worse? Time. And there's some folks in here that this has been attacking you very heavily because of your age. And so you st- you're believing that because I'm this age, I've timed out of the possibility for something to change. So you've been adjusting your life. And let me tell you where this is dangerous. You're now, because you believe, oh my goodness, because you are believing that for yourself, it's slipping out in the advice you're giving to the people around you. So you're programming children, grandchildren, everybody connected to you for their faith to be programmed to your broken expectations. And the danger is you call it wisdom. Child, you ought to listen to me because I'm older and life did taught me some stuff. But if it's unhealed, it's not healthy. Unhealed experience is not wisdom. Write that down. Unhealed experience is not wisdom. It could be a warning but it's not yet wisdom because wisdom comes from applied knowledge. So if there's still an area that you haven't addressed, then say that (laughs) preface your wisdom by saying, Hey, sweetie, I want to talk to you. And the reason why I want to talk to you is because dad, mom, big cousin, big brother went through what you're going through. And this is where I am with it. So I want you to be cautious about how you deal with it. That's totally different than, hey, listen, you need to start thinking about this now because it didn't happen for me. So all that dreaming and fighting you doing, you should probably. Because you're pouring out, quote unquote, wisdom from the broken place of the enemy telling you that nothing will ever change because you already maxed out. The devil is a whole lie, not a half a lie. He a whole lie. That was a whole lie. If God does not operate in time, how could you have timed out? If God is eternal, that means God does not go by our seconds and minutes. God created that so that you could have a framework to operate in so that the concept of eternity wouldn't make your brain ooze out of your left ear. If God doesn't exist in time, how could you have timed out? A healthy life is possible. Stop believing that just because it hasn't happened yet. And it is so hard, and I'm preaching this to you from the heart of someone who is dealing with it. The longer something goes on, the harder it is to believe in the possibility of change. You know, everybody believe week two. (laughs) And you still, you know, you still shouting like God's going to do it. You let a month go by, you'd be like, you know, he, 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 you know, he could. 
You let three months go by, you'd be like, he might. You let six months go by, he'd be like, I don't know if this what he could do if he was talking about something else when he said it. Let a year go by. You'd be like, I don't know if he's up there, just to be honest with you. I, look, I, I don't know if he's up there. I think, I think he on break, you know. Heaven's union mandates that every second eternity he goes on a 20-minute break. And, you know, a day is as a thousand years to him, so maybe... Uh, I love Bible humor. That's so funny. Like a 20 minute break, but a day is a thousand years. One of you smart people is going to do that math, right? That's a new SAT question. We should create like Christian SATs where like you have to like solve problems based on biblical, like, okay, I'm going to make that a thing. We're going to be like the first church to have that. It's going to be like a Christian IQ test. And then if you do good, you can sit like next to Pastor Jerry or something. It'll be super dope. Um, okay. So if a day is to a thousand years than what is 20 minutes to God. Anyway, have fun with that, okay? I was a communications major, so I will not be doing that math. A healthy, peaceful life is possible. You all are laughing and laughing away my time. Uh, Write Jeremiah 30, verse 17 down. Move these last two, and then I'll tell you the story next time. Jeremiah 30 and 17. Thank you. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 17. I'm still in number three. A healthy, peaceful life is possible. One of the greatest moments, I think he wouldn't mind telling me this story. Um, my, my dad, who I absolutely love, who I love and, and hope to be like, was opposed to me going to USC when I got in. He said, it's too expensive and it doesn't make any sense to go into that much debt and do all that, and the boy could just go to junior college down the street. And the reason why he had that perspective was because um, he didn't have much college. He went and had a very phenomenal career in the Air Force and then came back and continued to be an engineer. And so from his life perspective, it wasn't worth it to go through that extra labor, right? And so, in some senses, that would have been called wisdom, right? Wisdom, don't get into debt, et cetera, et cetera. But my mom was an advocate and said, Irvin, you, like, the boy got into USC. Like, the, the name alone, even before we factor in the education, could open up worlds for this boy. And we just have to figure it out. And my mom came from a a different educational experience. My mom has a doctorate, wrote a phenomenal dissertation that actually um, talked about the intersection between organizational management and ministry as it related to um, women pastors and barriers to women in leadership in the Pentecostal church in our denomination. It was a brilliant piece of writing. And so because of her experience, she was in a different place, right? My dad came back to me after I graduated, and he said, I didn't understand it at first, but now that I see some of the things that have happened for you as a result, that was something that we needed to do for you. Now, had he sat in his belief that what was not his experience somehow shaped some wisdom about what I should or should not do, I wouldn't have the job I have currently. I wouldn't have some of the connections that I have currently because his prior experience would have shaped what he stood in the way of. Now, what's crazy is, fast forward in my story at USC, they reversed roles. Times had gotten super hard for us as a family, super hard. And semester to semester was like, I mean, was like a miracle. So many stories about, I mean, money coming from where we just were like, what? First of all, we didn't know this existed and how we, and, and my mom being faithful like this boy has to finish, this boy has to finish. But because she was carrying the load of having to figure that out, me being extra, because I always want to do 19 million things, like I've, I see further and faster than I can ever execute anything. So I'm there at USC, you know, living my little life. And uh, I was like, I want to study abroad. I just thought it was like, it sounded amazing. I was just like, I want to do it. So I found this program, right? 
And then I came home and I remember telling my mom this. And for the first time ever in my life, I told her a dream and she was like, uh, no. For the first time ever. This is a woman who everything I've ever done, she's been the biggest champion for. Right? My mom had never studied abroad. Not been a part of her experience. And she was bogged down by the weight of, we are near death, about to eat boiled watermelon every day. (laughs) Trying to get you semester to semester. And you want to add extra on top. You want to come, you know, for you, because, you know, they they were so kind. They said, look, we we will figure out how you in school. You figure out your own life day to day. That was the decision. So, right, I was working two jobs, and, I, you know, I was living. I was still brunching and going to stuff, and, you know, I was still getting clothes clean for the dry cleaners every two weeks just in college. So she was like, you over here doing all this stuff, and it ain't nothing for you to come and talk about needing 12000 more dollars so that you could prance around in Europe. Like, no. And I was crushed. And so then my dad was the one. And what's crazy is because my dad's not a man of like extreme conversation, I don't even think it was a conversation. My dad just started stepping up in ways I'd never seen before. Like when my dad gets excited about something, move out the way. Like if we don't care, you can't find a man. He just be <laughs> doing the stuff he actually <laughs> believes in. And he started taking me. He was like, when you go abroad, you're going to need this. And you're going to need this. I would show up at home and he would say, I bought you this. I bought your backpack because I think you'll need the blah, 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 blah. And I was like, who is this man? (laughs) Because he had had experience. The time he spent in the Air Force showed him and he understood the value of seeing the world for what kind of leader you can be. Here's what I'm getting at. If you are not careful, your lack of experience will create doubt that you transfer to the next generation and you will tell them it's not possible just because you've never seen it. Just because it wasn't for you doesn't mean it's not purpose for the next generation. Jeremiah 30 verse 17 says, For I will restore health unto thee, and I will heal thee of thy wounds, saith the Lord. Because they called thee an outcast, saying, This is Zion, whom no man seeketh after. A healthy, peaceful life is possible. God said, Don't worry, I will heal you. Oh, God. Hey, Hey, thank you, Jesus. That's so good. God says, I will heal you. I don't know who that's for, but that's so good. God says, I will heal you. God says, you got to get that in your spirit. God says, I will heal you. I know how long it's been. I will heal you. I know what they said. I will heal you. I know how deep the trauma was, but I will heal you. I know that you've been making it worse all along, but I will heal you. I know how long it's been, but I will heal you. I know that you thought a relationship would do it, and it didn't. You thought drugs and alcohol would do it, and it didn't. You thought a new job would do it, and it didn't. You thought more money would do it, and it didn't and just when you thought your family was going to do it then they left you couldn't find your father and this other one passed away you had a mentor and all of a sudden they started caring for somebody else God says I don't care how it didn't come from somewhere else I don't care how deep it got because I am Jehovah Rapha I will I will heal thee of thy wounds saith the Lord four minutes not four I got four which means I really have six (laughs) okay um, I gotta move Isaiah 66 and 13 father thank you Jesus oh I love this verse so much I love this when I found it Isaiah 66 13 as one whom his mother comforteth so will I comfort you all of that's good as one whom his mother comforteth so will I comfort you a couple things to say about this then I'm moving on what is crazy is we remember this where we unpacked I think this was Father's Day And that morning we preached a message called fatherless faith. If anybody was here for that fatherless faith, the ways in which how I interacted with my parents shapes my original belief about God for better or for worse. 
In that sermon, that teaching, we talked about how God is not gendered, that God is neither male nor female. God is not sitting on the throne with male anatomy and a beard. Conversely, because some movements will try to do this in their answer to patriarchy and to um, a, a, a false presentation of God as being male, they will go to the other end of the spectrum and refer to God as woman. While I understand the problem that's trying to be solved, I think we have to make sure that we do it in understanding that God is neither. The Bible says in John 4 that God is a what? Spirit. Okay, thank you. Two and a half of you. I got cookies for you after class. No, I I don't, unfortunately. Um, We do have communion, though, so stick around for that. Um, God is a spirit, right? A non-gendered spirit. Okay, so I think it's amazing for us to pull out examples in the Bible that refer to God operating in traits of both, right? God operating as father and mother, If we separate them in in our norms that we've created about this whole idea about father and mother, one being protector, one being uh, um, nurturer, one being identity, one being affirmer, all that kind of stuff, God does all of that. Here's why I bring that up. Because if you are missing either one in your life, God is very clear that God will make sure that the values that you are missing in that absent parent, he will make sure you don't go without. That's so profound to me. That's why I love this when I saw it, because I had never seen a passage like this that referred to God acting in a motherly way. Because I think the same crisis we have about, about people growing up without a father and God communicating that, Right? Like God steps in as father. We even sing that on Father's Day. It amazes me how on Mother's Day we have like so much affirmation and support. And on Father's Day we only talk about the ones that like aren't there. And so we just sing to God, you're a good, good father. It's like, yes. And God is also amazing in the mother role. That for whichever one you don't have, because a lot of anxiety is tied to which parent is not present. And God says, I will make sure that the same thing you would have gotten from that parent if they were here, you don't go without since they are gone. I want you to look at this scripture every time you feel down, Isaiah 66 and 13, as one whom his mother comforted. There's so much in that. There is the comfort of embrace. There's the comfort of, of when, a, when, when a mother's able to speak to you and tell you that everything's going to be all right. There's so much in that comfort. God says, so will I comfort you. And the response is, and you will be comforted. Okay, I'm moving. Last, no, four. (laughs) They were really moving on. Four, so right, three is a healthy, peaceful life is possible. You've got to reverse that belief that this is all there is to life. Number four, anxiety is common and is a regular human emotion. Anxiety is common. Everybody might not have anxiety disorder. Remember, we talked about that in the first intro. But the feeling of anxiety is pretty common. I don't think there's a human being in here. If you've ever gone through something that you cared about or feared, you have experienced at least the emotion of anxiety. It's common. Princeton, why why is that a necessary truth? Because you need to know that so you can talk about it. You need to know that so you can stop being so secretive and so full of shame that you're dealing with it. Because we all are. And part of, part of me doing this series involved me having to go on the journey personally to be upfront about it. I determined that when you are in a leadership position, it's not about you always telling people what they should do. Just demonstrate that you're going on that journey. So one of the biggest points in my ministry is I don't tell people go to therapy. I started going. And then because I was going, it made its way into like literally everything I talked about. <laughs> I'd be like, the Bible said, my favorite preacher or bishop said, my therapist said. <laughs> be like, oh, therapy seems to have a pretty profound impact on you, young man. Maybe I will consider. So we all have to do that. And you have to go on this journey for you because the places where you have influence are going to require you to be open about it so that other people can be free. If you don't think it's common, you're going to hold it in. And the people who look to you are looking at you as an example to be open about what everybody's experiencing. You know what I've realized? All it takes is one. Have you ever seen? Okay, Princeton, you're taking way too much time. Have you ever seen 
an altar call and don't nobody show up. Everybody's looking. And the preacher is up there just sweating. I mean, the preacher is like, <laughs> I love, especially uh, in my Baptist context, because uh, I get the chance to hang out with a lot of, a lot of Baptist churches. Is there one? And we be wanting just one. <laughs> Is there one? And it'll be dry. I mean, it'll be dry. Y'all be like, turn up the organ, maybe sing a different song. Ain't nobody crying, nothing. We got all ready. We got these wonderful sheets. We want to put these on people so bad. Like, please give us some sheet action. Like, please. I got it robed up. Somebody fall out, please. Ain't nobody falling. Everybody planted, you know. Some people walk up, they decide they're not going to fall. So have you ever, <laughs> okay, Princeton. You ever seen somebody do the rock? Because they're like, I just ain't going to fall. So they do this whole thing. Right. And meanwhile, all the altar workers, because we all carnal anyway, be like, come on, come on, come on. Let it go. Let it go. Let it... Down, sheet. Right? <laughs> and so the altar call be dry. Don't nobody be, you know, don't nobody be taking the bait. And then one person. And now they friend is like. <sighs> then they, you know, then they parent is like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, right now we got 40 people. You know, everybody just all out on the floor and it's a great time. All it takes is one. First Corinthians 10, 13. That's so the reason why I brought that up is because that's the effect you can have in your family. That's the effect you can have on your job. That's the effect you can have on your basketball team, etc. First Corinthians 10, 13, and we'll end here, says, There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Number five, which is where we'll pick up in our part five, six, whatever this is, next month, is this. Even Jesus dealt with anxiety. I'm going to show it to you in scripture next time. Everybody stand. That's number five. Number five is even Jesus dealt with anxiety. I'm going to show it to you. We'll unpack how he dealt with it. Have you been blessed this morning? Did that make any sense? All right. Hey, listen, I want you to say these things to yourself as affirmations. Do it every day because you got to get yourself thinking differently about this whole thing. And uh, as you think differently about it, God is going to usher you into um, healing. This is going to be a great day. The Spirit of the Lord is already here. The Spirit of the Lord is here so profoundly. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to carry the spirit that is here into 1030. All right. I need you. It's not just going to be the worship team and the band. It's going to be what you bring into this worship environment that's literally going to take us from faith to faith and from glory to glory. Father, I just seal this word with prayer. Um, I thank you that we're all going through the same thing. And so you sent your word to give us tools to reshape our thinking. I thank you that it is in the word and that you're allowing us to go through a period of time where we can unpack it together. I just pray for every person struggling today that they will have a new mindset, one that is not defeated, one that is not doubtful, but a mindset that is hopeful and filled with victory. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you that we will be able to live free and chill because that's what you want us to have, life and life more abundantly. In Jesus' amazing name, amen. There you have it, fam. I loved this conversation, and I hope you were taking notes. Um, and I think more than taking notes, I hope you will join me in doing the work that's required to commit this to memory. I've learned that there's a difference between like, or it takes time between hearing a thing and then believing a thing and like agreeing with it, but then thirdly putting it into practice and that's stages. And I think the stages between or the work, the journey between each one of those is repetition. So, you know, you hear it and then you repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it until you're like, okay, you know what? I, I agree. And then you repeat it and you repeat it until you finally accept it as being true for you. And that's an ongoing journey. My favorite one of those is the one where I said, you are more than your anxiety. And I really want you to hear that, that you are experiencing something, but it is not the measure of who you are. And that goes for anything, right? You might be experiencing poverty, but you are not defined by that poverty. You might be, and I think it's so important, I like to say this at, at our church, 
when we're talking about how we want to impact the community, we're not going to feed the homeless. We're not going to prepare bags or give money to the homeless. No, that's not who they are. We're going to help our citizens or our brothers and sisters who are experiencing homelessness. And I had a good friend of mine who, who taught me that and taught me the difference. And so it's important that you know that you are more than what you're struggling with. And that's what I hope for you. So if uh, this blessed you, I want you to send this to a friend. Send this to someone who you've been trying to have this conversation about mental health with. And uh, maybe you just didn't put it in these words or you just never thought about some of this stuff. Send it to them. Share it. And let me know. Uh, I enjoy messages that I get where uh, somebody sent it to me where they were like, yo, somebody sent me this. And I said, hey, that's my friend Princeton. And this is what we talk about. And, and I love that. I love when you all send me that. So please send this to someone like the podcast and subscribe, leave a review. And it helps for other people to find out about it. And, and my goal in all of this is that people hear an episode and they feel seen and then feel empowered. Like that, that's my whole goal is that when people hear one of these episodes, they feel seen like, yo, somebody gets it. But then they feel empowered. Like, hey, I now have something that I can do as a result. And I hope that that's how you feel. And I hope that that's why you keep coming back to listen to more. So I love you. I'm praying for you always. Be safe. And I pray that uh, not only are you safe physically during this environment in this moment in time, but that you are keeping yourself as emotionally and mentally well as you possibly can. And that when you meet your wits end, you know, I already believe this, that God is keeping you. So love you so much. You know how we close every episode with God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation. What you going to do? Keep building family. 